shredding through the tangled lies of Emotus's Department of Morale, like a ripper docks bone shears, or maybe just a ripper itself. We are the audio assault on all things your parents held dear, 665.66, UHMA Chemrat Radio. And Gabo, speaking of things that go bump in the night, I don't know about you, but the couple next to me in the hab, I don't know if they're just bad woodworkers or something, but they just keep going thump in the night. A lot of yelling. So there must be like, I don't know. Uh, that's why I say bad woodworkers. Oh, God, Emperor. Oh, God, Emperor. Why have I messed up again? <laughs> Very religious couple. Oh. A relay station deep in the frost hollow has become the scene of an Arbides investigation after more than six weeks of silence. I wonder what they might find down there. It's Chucker, as the veteran of the frost hollow, you have any ideas what they might find? Uh... Probably an obscene amount of warp dust and straws. I was going to say a whole lot of nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of warp dust and straws, I guess, razor ice storms are buffeting the hive once again, leading to massive temperature spikes here in the underhive as none of the damn heat has any place to vent to except right on us. We're toughing it out at Madame Bexy's Flack and Jack, where the only thing hotter than the weather is the entertainment, regardless of what you're looking at. As always, I am your slightly unhinged, mostly deranged, completely unmitigated master of plasma, Goblin King. Joined today by my co-hosts, you know him, you love him, treating us to those amazing intros, the mischief chief of Marauder Alley, Marky. Hello, everyone. Bringing us out of the heat and regaling us with stories about just how cold it can get in the deep ice, the polar bear of the frost and fortitude himself, Chuggerfly. What's up, everyone? And currently spending more time drooling over the entertainment than listening to his co-host, the Caramel Mountain himself, uh, Rugen. I am the entertainment. (laughs) Dollar, dollar bills, (laughs) y'all. Only singles, please. I like it to look like more than it is. No, 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 no. We make it. We make it hail in the underhive. We just throw oh, handfuls of credits at you. Even better. Even better. Even better. If I don't come back with wealth, I don't want it. <laughs> you got to leave bruised one way or another. I need to work for it. Oh my god. Welcome to episode sixty-one of Under the Hive of Madness, part three of our faction coverage on Tyranids. As one of the newest threats to the Warhammer 40k universe, there is actually a lot of more recently created history and lore that we are touching on in this episode, meaning you guys are going to probably get a 3.5 episode next time as we split our roundtable on the Tyranids with a bit of deeper discussion on the many bioforms the race can field in battle. We're eight episodes away from greatness, Gabo. 69, oh... Oh, Ooh. are we going to do something special for episode yeah. 69? That oh, should be the slanish episode. If we slanish. plan it right, it's yes. the slanish episode. Await <laughs> oh, oh, greatness. So while we're covering a lot of the lore from the perspective of the Tyranids today, or at least the perspective of the Imperium when they're looking at the Tyranids, don't worry, we'll be back to talk about some of these events in more detail from other angles either when we talk about the Space Marine chapters that are involved on the other side or when we cover specific battles and planets in detail. Just like we're doing with our Planet Focus episodes or Planet Spotlight episodes and our Heroes episodes, at some point we'll get into specific battles. We'll, we'll go into depth on things like, the, um, the, the, like certain Crusades, 
Um, I definitely want to do some stuff on the Badab War, so stuff like that we'll definitely jump into in a little bit deeper tones. Before we jump into the second Tyrannic War and the meat of our episode today, I wanted to talk to you guys about just how deep and involved a lot of this Tyranid lore is that's being developed right now. It's, it's kind of crazy since so much... I mean, the Tyranids are the biggest threat, like to everybody. Extremely deep. Yeah, yeah. yeah very deep. Moloch deep. So, so Chuck... Yeah, you had some hot takes, apparently, right? Uh-oh. Yeah, yeah so it's really really grinds my gears. I, yeah, you want to know what, what grinds my gears? Hey, so, look, I'm a Space Marine player, and yeah, I take I, I take the flack for being it. You know, everybody's like, everybody's first army is a Space Marine army. Where's, where's my smallest violin? That's, that's it right there. Where, that's, where? that's it right there. Hey, here's the thing. First of all, Everybody says, who wants to be a space marine? Every goddamn person that plays this game has fantasized about being nine feet tall and tearing something in half like Captain America in a piece of wood. You're let's absolutely that, right. I have I have 100% straight. fantasized about being a Tyranid warrior no, no, several no. times. No, no, no. <laughs> On different see, occasions. See, then the second thing, the, the, the second thing is when you read the lore... Because I've read different books, and yes, I'm very biased because I'm a space marine guy. And you're old. And I'm old. I get, you know, <laughs> gri- get my gears are grinding. You know, first of all, ultramarines are not the best. Get that straight. That's why they almost got wiped out. Second of all, I know you're going to touch on it today. We all agree the Blood Angels should just be wiped out. Like, let's just get that out of the way. There you go, Marky, just for you. <laughs> I got it right here. Oh, you tried to play a violin. Play a sad song of the Well, all I'm going to say is when you read a lot more of the lore, which I know some of the listeners are actually into reading uh, or listening to audiobooks. Yeah, that's actually, a new, yeah, that's a new or thing. Or actually reading something on, you know, written on parchment. Dead tree. You know, under candlelight. Both both ways uphill space, in the snow during a heat wave. <laughs> space Marines win most of the time. There you go. So so and there's Norn a Queens reason. And 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 Lysander, Oh, here we go. Who's one of the greatest space marines of all times. <laughs> Gotta go get him his tin hat. <laughs> no, you don't need a tin hat, buddy. <laughs> one of the greatest space marines of all times. Hey, you know what? It has it in an old edition book, and the entire fist chapter got called back to uh, handle a, a nid invasion. And guess what? It didn't take the entire company. It just took Lysander and a bunch of centurions, and they won the day. There you go. So, so the main reason that that happens is because this is it, it's interesting. Imperial, it's interesting you bring this up. The main reason that that happens is because the majority of the books are written from the perspective of the Space Marines. Yeah. So when you read the books that are about the Farseers, the Eldari are the best. When you read the books yeah. that are about the Necrons, the Necrons Eldari, are the Eldari, best. Ooh, Eldari like had Necrons. their chance, and so did the Necrons. Wait, whoa! I still like the Necrons. Relax over there. When you read, when you read the books that focus on the Orcs, the Orcs say Death Guard. are the best. When you read oh, the. When you read the books based about the uh, the Gaunt's ghosts, 
The Gaunt's ghosts are the best. When you read the books actually, about the Cadians, the Cadians are the best. Actually, you read books about guard. They want Space Marines to show up because Space Marines are the best. Not if you read the Gaunt's ghost books. If the Gaunt's ghost books, they're happy when Space Marines show up, but they're also capable of killing space, Chaos Space Marines by their onesies. Yeah. That, that's saying. the thing. Whenever, whenever you, yeah, the pers- whatever the perspective of the, it's, it's the Warhammer 40 K universe is a brilliant study in what, with that famous saying, um, what's the difference between a freedom fighter and a terrorist? It's whoever's writing the history, whoever writes the history books. That's why the Imperium's the greatest. Yeah. The Imperium I, I phrases everything like, and is them being the best, but, um, Yeah. I'm glad it grinds your gears. <laughs> uh, Death Guard's the best. Nurgle so would never let Death his Guard followers. had their chance. Well, they, they, uh, Death Guard had their chance. Hey, Chaos had its chance. Don't make me put my thumb they in your lost. mouth again. They lost at Terra. Do not make me put my thumb in your oh, mouth. Oh, he's pulling out his violin again. <laughs> <laughs> so the Space Marines, right? <laughs> they all get wiped out. <laughs> and they don't come back. <laughs> It's a sad day. You're gonna make Ch- shed a tear. They have Imperial fist, man. They just—they're <laughs> all Imperial fists. It's just. <laughs> I mean, I do have to say, Mar- Mar- Margie does have a point. If you if you wipe out my entire Nid army, we we just make more Nids. You always just make more Space Marines. Nah, you run out of Gene Seed at some point, brother. No, you don't. Oh yeah. Read you do. read, read one of the old parchment novels. Yeah, <laughs> you do. Get the get the scrolls out. Oh, there, there, this, <laughs> this, this Tyranid episode alone features at least two or three chapters that did Bubba. not survive. Oh, Does have the scythes? You ain't got no genes. The scythes. Yeah. Are the scythes one of them? The scythes are well. The scythes and the lamenters almost got wiped out, but the knights of blood are gone. The scythes are actually in uh, one of the novels that I've read about the nids. Firehawks. Yeah, the nids. The nids. Uh, <clears throat> The Nids are the biggest concentrated threat to everything in the galaxy, with the possible exception of Oryx, and we'll talk about that today. So, uh, Marky, you want to read our, our quote here? We'll start with the Second Tyrannic War against Hive Fleet Kraken. Emperor right. blesses gotta, angels. I got to get into my, my Tom voice. Your Tom voice. <laughs> Hello, everyone. <laughs> Sorry, excuse me. Hello, everyone. All right, I, think, I, think I'm, I think I'm there. I think I'm there. Following the defeat... Of Hive, <laughs> sorry, first day jitters. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Yeah, all right, all right. Think, all right. Following the defeat of Hive Fleet Behemoth, some Imperial observers believe the Tyranid threat is over. Humanity has outlived countless such Xenos threats. They pointed out to each destructive in their own right, yet ultimately minor in the grand scheme of the wider Imperium. Several centuries passed before this assumption was proved. The worst sort of foolish optimism. So at the onset of the second Tyranid invasion, the Imperium was forced to reassess the threat and admit how little they knew about the Tyranids. High Fleet Kraken, as it came to be known, did not advance in the same way that Behemoth had before it. Behemoth had before it. (sighs) Somebody sent me to a pronunciation thing and was like, your regional dialect sucks, fix it. Beaumont. Dividing its strength into as many tender, into a many tendrilled attack, Kraken attacked many planetary systems over a scattered territory in a coordinated and planned strategic attack, allowing the shadow and the warp to spread much further than it had in the previous war against Hamath. This 
heightened Kraken's ability as wily ambush predators. Their tactics favoring encircling and outflanking an enemy rather than a head-on brute force attack. It also delayed this new assault from reaching the Imperium at large. When the Imperium finally did muster a response, they declared the Second Tyrannic War to have begun. This threw xenobiologists and strategists off as many had believed that the defeat of Bahamut had ended the Xenos threat for good. Kraken's use of vanguard organisms changed the understanding of this threat. Planets were consumed in destabilizing terror attacks or civil wars before the main Tyranid force even arrived. New Tyranid bioforms burrowing under defensive walls and hardpoints that had been considered unbreakable by the Imperium up to that point. Kraken split attention also allowed the Hive Fleet to hit more targets than the Imperium could defend, forcing the defenders to pick and choose which high-priority worlds needed to be saved, actions that allowed other worlds teeming with biomass to be slaughtered. Since the Tyranids need biomass over resources like those of a Forge world, an aggregate world with a small population makes a very enticing target. While the Imperium may not value it as high, as it doesn't produce the weapons they feel they need to defend against the Xenos threat. Sounds like they hit him with that Koyan instead of that Monka. That's right. Right? right? That ko- I, don't, I don't even know if I'm saying Koyan. I, th- I don't know. You, you I've got only, it. I don't, you got I only it. play Tom's fucking Farsight, so I don't know what the <laughs> other ones, how the other ones. But I just know when he came down, he was like, Monka! Yeah, I'm like, he, he Monkas a lot. I was like, what? what? So, like so with how the, the, the whole concept is with the Tyranids, so was Behemoth just like a scouting force to learn? So Behemoth basically came in and brute forced their way yeah. into Ultramar as fast as that's, they could. That's what I was saying. Like, so when they were defeated, pushed back, did the hive mind start thinking different and send in a different tendril with different tactics? Basically. Like, let's try yeah. something new. And this time they, they blanketed a an area. Not quite as big as Leviathan does later, but enough that it kind of forced the Imperium to realize like what the Tyranids were actually doing. I also thought it was interesting because I never really even thought about it, but like, you know, an agri world or a world with very little sentient life, um, like very little Imperial Imperium presence, presence, but a lot of like fucking biomass, the Tyranids are going to go after that. And the, and the Imperium in a lot of cases is going to be like, uh, Okay, we'll let that world fall. Not realizing that what they're really doing is it's feeding the war machine. Yep. Feeding the war machine. Yeah. Now, in the, in the lore, does it talk about how uh, how game related, how the different uh, the different fleets are? Like, yeah. So at the they at, were more anti psyker with with Kraken. Yeah. So we'll we'll talk about uh, it's Kronos that's anti psyker. We'll talk about the various Hive fleets and their tactics um, towards the end of the episode. But yeah, yeah that, we get in, we definitely get into a lot of those details. But yeah, Kronos, uh, Kronos kind of had to evolve to deal with the Great Rift and the Demo- and, and the Demo- and bleh, and demons. <laughs> Man, demon is a weird word today. Apparently, so yeah, we'll, we'll talk about we'll talk about the fucking crazy ass shit uh, they Matt do. Damon. So, so this. Go ahead. Are, are, are demons like you know how they always spelled it? What is it like D E A M O N S? Yeah, is, demons. Is it, is it demons? Is it pronounced demons though? Is that like the Latin way to say it? Like yeah. So it's Latin, a Latin it's demon. It's a Latin word which means something greater than man, something between man and God. Um, and it, it in Latin tradition, the original root 
word doesn't actually mean evil. It just means like higher thing, essentially more powerful thing. Uh, Matt Damon. Yeah. Like a Matt Damon. More powerful than us. Heels to Jesus. But yeah, a demon, demon or Damon. Um, I mean, most people just pronounce it demon because they act like demons. Demons and saints are kind of the way that the, the low Gothic would pronounce those words, even though it's spelled differently. Hmm. Um, in software, though, you call the, that part of uh, artificial intelligence construct or potential artificial intelligence construct a daemon. That's a type of tool. That's why oh, daemon okay. tools is called daemon tools, actually. But, yeah, I was going to say in cyberpunk, they call them daemons, right? Yep. Yep. Because, because they're, they're going back a little bit more to that root word. But as, as we've seen time and again, uh, depending on whether or not you're an American pronouncing GW stuff or a Brit pronouncing GW stuff, it, there's different pronunciation. So Cetaceans. there you go. Cetaceans. Wee. <laughs> Man, we're so fucking salty about Cetaceans. <laughs> Come up a lot. Why, why not? Why wouldn't you? Right. The second tyrannic war saw the involvement of many Space Marine chapters, all of which were forced to fight in extremely desperate situations. While their valor and courage are undeniable and saved uncountable trillions, it wasn't without a horrific cost. The Sice of the Emperor and the Lamenters were both devastated and pushed to the edge of distinction. The Knights of Eternity chapter was entirely wiped out. In a move no one understands, as it didn't match the tactics of the Hive Fleet to that point, the decisive battle ended up happening on Icar 4. The Hive Fleet amassed all of its la- largest tendrils into one massive attack. While the move was unintelligible, it allowed the Imperium to muster a counterattack that changed the course of the war. During the conflict of Icar 4, the Tyranids deployed bioforms and warriors that had not been yet encountered, including some of the first uses of Biotitans. The arrival of Chapter Master Marius Kalgar leading a massive Ultramarines force, proved to be the turning point in the conflict. The Tyranids, the Tyranids were scoured from the planet and its surrounding system. Even under an Imperial victory, however, Icar IV was reduced to a wasteland, even though the main strength of the fleet had been defeated. Many splinters and minor tendrils scattered, far from entirely removed from the fight. So, Chuck, it is pretty interesting that you point... You pointed out and picked on the Ultramarines because the Ultramarines are definitely the ones that are always talked about winning the day yeah. and all of well, the Tyranid stuff. Well, yeah, they're, like everybody says, they're the po- Yeah, the boys in blue. I, I love that he has a mace. That's such an awesome picture. Just, just beating on shit. We covered that at the end of last episode, yeah. too. Like, the Tyranids aren't confined to the weapons that you see on the models. The, the the reason that the weapons that you get in the model line are the weapons that are on the Tyranid is because that's the way that the hive mind normally deploys them. That's the most used. But there's nothing that says in lore anyway that a gene stealer couldn't have um, you know, an impaler cannon or something else. The likelihood is they're not going to, because gene stealers aren't used that way by the hive mind, but in a pinch, they're gonna throw weapons onto a gene stealer. Is a uh, ultramarine be good stick? In contrast, the Eldari craft world of Eoden had a greater forewarning of the Hive Fleet's oncoming assault. Their farseers glimpsed the onrushing hunger of gnashing teeth while rangers brought back first-hand accounts of the aliens. Craft worlds, however, are immense and stately crafts that rely on the use of webways to travel through the warp, not their own power. So unlike an Imperium ship which can activate a Geller field and dip into the warp, Craft worlds can't do that unless they're near or in or have access to a webway gate that's big enough to fit them. 
And it soon became obvious that the Iyadin needed to brace for an oncoming onslaught as evasion or escape wasn't possible. Farseer Kelamon, Iyadin's leader and most powerful seer, set the entire craft world along the path to war. Every citizen donning the armor of the Guardian, all aspect warriors and ships of Iyadin's war fleets were recalled. Even the spirits of the dead were called upon to pilot the wraith constructs and wraith knights of the craft world. The Tyranid swarm encircled the craft world and its defending war fleet. Eldari warships fought with breathtaking skill and grace, tearing apart wave after wave of attackers, filling the void with chunks of meat and drifting clouds of vaporized ichor. However, just as with the Imperium, one by one, the Andin's ships fell silent and eventually massive waves of Tyranids descended on the craft world. While the Ardari put up a hell of a defense and counterattack, thousands of Tyranids breached the crystal domes and winding corridors, battering down defensive line after defensive line of guardians. All while bioforms stalked the softly lit corridors of the deeper craft world, slaughtering and ambushing anything they came across. Formerly beautiful wraithbone corridors became gore-chunked carnal houses. Irreplaceable treasures saved from the core of the Eldari Empire itself during the fall were destroyed. Things like the Dome of Crystal Seers, the Forge of Baal's Fury, and the Library of Sighs. Eventually, the Eldari dead outnumbered that of its living defenders. As the last embers of hope flickered and died, Prince Uriel, who had been living in exile from Eadin, returned unable to bear his homeworld's destruction. He led his Eldari Corsair fleet into the main body of the Hive fleet, gutting it and cutting what was left into bloody ribbons of void-scattered gore. He then boarded Eadin, wielding the Spear of Twilight, which is one of the five crone swords of Eldari myth, and took the Hive Tyrant that led the invasion swarm on in single combat. After the Hive Tyrant's defeat, his Corsairs and survivors of Eadin eradicated all traces of the Tyranids from the craft world's halls. Farseer Kelamon was found atop a mound of Tyranid corpses, dead. Prince Uriel earned the Eadin people's forgiveness with his selfless actions and was welcomed back. However, Kraken had claimed a mighty toll from the craft world, reducing it to a shadow of its former strength, heralding the slow decline of all that remained. So this library of size, <laughs> I mean, was it really a loss? You just walk in and the books are like, ah. <laughs> So Eadin had a lot of the, like, once great empires, you know, whatever you want to call, like, like ancient wonders and treasures in it. I mean, they all do to a certain extent. But, yeah, the the Tyranids fucked Eadin. And we had talked about this in the Eldari episode, and it's interesting that the Tyranid book, the Tyranid Codex, the Tyranid lore puts it this way. The Tyranid lore is like, Yes, Eadin is dying. But if you remember when we covered Eadin, Eadin is recovered quite a bit. That like twenty-five or thirty-five percent of the ship has regrown already. Um, there's just not people in it. The ship is healed, but there's not a lot of people in it. But Eadin now fights with a lot more wraith constructs than other horses because of this, essentially. <laughs> yeah, like I said, they had their chance. Oh God, this man! Wow, wow. <sighs> Wow. Papa Nurgle's going to touch you soon. He already is. <laughs> pa- Papa Nurgle needs to stop Shh. touching his microphone stand. Sorry. Yeah. Just adjust- <laughs> adjusting all of this, man. All this 185 pounds of man. Being what? Adjusted. 185. Gotcha, gotcha. So good. All right, guys. It's time for a silly voice. 
So I came across a really fun chunk of lore in the book that's filled with all sorts of 40K gothic BS and techno-medical jargon, and I, I want to read a snippet from it. The actual thing is like four pages long, and I cut out all except like three paragraphs just because that they, they, they're fun. So I'm going to try. I'm going to try my most ridiculous medical officer voice. Better than what I could do. Why? Why do I? Yeah, but why do I picture you wearing a monocle and red glo- uh, latex gloves? And if I had red latex gloves, I'd put them on right now, buddy. I, I mean, yeah, that's creepy. Inquisitorial reference: five five three zero one X four D E Xenos. Tyranid Genos Study. Being an attempt to extrapolate the physiological and neuroalchemical autoprostignation, the inherent nature in genealogic... Oh, my gosh. Uh, the inherent nature and genealogical classificum of the Tyranid organism, Experiovis lavorum, reference, parasite of Mortex, Initial eradicaeum scurfectium performed by your humble servant in Xenosophant, grade secundus, Lautimir Gartholomew Junt the Second. Yeah, you're more like the professor from <laughs> Phineas and Ferb. I'm trying, man. I don't even <laughs> I know what that guy it. sounds like. But... <laughs> just like that. All right. Sounds just like that. Lab coat and everything. Ruminance. Ruminants exacto originatus, the xeno-organism that forms the subject of my latest study labors under the somewhat lurid appellation Parasite of Mortrex. It seems apparent to me that while marginally informative from an astrocartographic perspective, this title surely coined by some overwrought militarum enlistee with precious little respect for suitable xeno-categorization, representing a serpentine organism that puts one in mind of such subspecies as Rapicus anagissum. Reference, Ravener, these horrible degenerate words, or Bellatory Tyrannus, reference, Tyranid Warrior, how uninspired. This so-called parasite's primary method of locomotion is clearly provided by a pair of broad and membranous wings. Its periotheric trunk supports multiple chitin-sheathed defensive limbs, yet its most formidable biological armament lies in its barbed ovipositor. It is by means of this acute appendage that it appears to inject live victims with the true parasitic organism, a form of hypergestational, Eridonis vermis, reference rippers, capable of devouring the host organism from within before erupting from their denuded cadaver. On its progenitorial genius, whence then originates the aerial venerator? Through the comparative orgio analysis, it is possible for the diligent scholar to establish genealogical linkage to other tyrannid bioforms, the better to extrapolate the creature's aptitudes and limitations. Such labors are, of course, hampered as always by the frustration, papicity of verifiable certainties in relation to almost all aspects of the tyrannid's 
xenobiological makeup, and additional methodology, and so forth. Experiavis larvum is certainly possessed of prodigious wingspan. So, Excuse me, I'm talking. <laughs> <and> <laughs> I'm sorry, man. <laughs> I thought you were done. Almost. <laughs> I got one more paragraph of this. <laughs> this what the fuck? Like, there's so much like like circular talk in there. I was like, I have to ah. read. I have to read parts of this. It's prodigious wingspan, as I was saying, and envises a notable lack of hind limbs with which to affect terrestrial preambulation. One can reasonably then draw atomical similarities to Voltanus voricterians, hoppy, as well as the multisys sputus gargoyle and the colossus ambraduri, or Heridin, as these common folk like to say. Yet pursuit of such potential geno-comparative branches swiftly reveals such marked disparities in behavioral and morphological nature that further meaningful reference becomes patently fatigious. In conclusion, my lady inquisitor, when many months ago you set me on this endeavor, I truly believed it a rare honor. And yet, as I come at last to, li to deliver my findings to you, I must question how I so angered you as to be assigned to this dismal duty. So unnatural, so enigmatic, and unclean are the mysteries of the Tyranid that I consider both my faith and, yes, even my sanity to have been sorely tried. You ask me to provide you with insights that you might exploit in slaying these creatures, but I tell you I have precious few to offer. These so-called parasites appear to diverge almost willfully from each archetype we have identified and attempt to fit them with. As to the manner of genealogical speculations and subspecies linkage and the implicate weakness therein, like so many before me, my lady, I am at an utter loss. One might poist counter-empiric measures as being at least partially officious, perhaps all-enclosing personal protective equipment is better used to prevent parasification. But frankly, as humanity has done since the xenoform abomination set against us, I would counsel the use of overwhelming firepower coupled with staunch faith in the God Emperor Almighty. In short... Their weakness could best be described as bullets. And in that field, my lady, you are far more an expert than I. Just the whole thing, like, and there's like four more paragraphs of that shit, and it's all like that. <laughs> it's all like nerd rage. I was like, I have to read oh. it. So in low gothic, basically the cure is uh, you call them bugs and wear yep. your jimmies for protection. Yep. Hit strap in and shoot faster. <laughs> <laughs> it it just there there's really great segments of the codex and some of the side lore of just these like fucking magi biologist nerds getting mad because <laughs> somebody asked them to define a termagon and they're like no i can't like what are you okay here's a bunch of science words how do, how do i defeat this Shoot it <laughs> more often. Armor piercing. How rounds. do I protect myself? 
Wear, wear more armor. <laughs> like literally the, the end paragraph. Wear more armor, take more guns. <laughs> like So my favorite movie, <clears throat> as everyone knows. Species you guys are, you Starship guys, Troopers. You guys are all <laughs> What's your favorite movie? You guys are all everybody listening is like Starship Troopers. It's Marky, the sixth it's the sixth day. We know <clears throat> the seventh day. The seventh day. Starship Troopers. I uh I, I forced the wifey to watch it like a week or so ago <sighs> because so uh the uh the I was gonna say Matt's significant other had not seen it yet. So the movie she's was not, she's not perfect. Was, Heresy. Uh, what? Was just it just had to happen. So I mine, I sh- mine has even seen it. Yours hates you, anyways. She's yeah, Mine's my, even seen it. My my wife he hates. Well, now she's seen it. Like she fucking hates Starship Troopers. Uh, she says it's because she watched it when she was really young. Like her dad showed it to her, and uh, she was like, "Yeah, it gave me nightmares." And I just haven't hasn't hasn't liked it since. Movie, I'm like, that's no excuse. That was a night- <laughs> so, that's a nightmare movie. Apparently, well, yeah. I mean, dude, has I, she ever seen Aliens? Uh, depending on how old you are when you see a movie it can greatly change it like i was terrified of yoda when i was a kid not even yeah my my, i uh, was terrified of yoda i guess i had different upbringing i think i got taken as a small child to go see aliens yeah my uh my father-in-law i did not have a problem with scarred my my brother-in-law with jurassic park he was definitely afraid of like dinosaurs and dinosaur movies I guess that's the only place you see dinosaurs. Is dinosaur so I saw, movies, but. I, I saw so. <laughs> Jurassic, I saw Jurassic Park in the theaters, and when the the lamb leg like smashes the top of the screen, like Ooh, the first jump scare, that was of the amazing. Movie, my my literal reaction was, "Man, I'm hungry," and I was like seven or eight when that. Like movie I could, I can go theater. for some lamb yeah, right I now. Say, I, I could go for some lamb right <laughs> now. Go for some lamb right now. That sounds really good. Oh, Man, I love is it, is it gyro or gyro, or Euro. both wrong? Gyro, gyro, both are wrong. Euro. Okay, I was eleven when I saw that. Hero. So I was a little older. Okay. Okay. So I'm trying to I'm trying to think of a movie that. Oh, but anyways, to leave Starship <laughs> Troopers. Yeah, Starship Troopers. Medical uh, jargon. <laughs> Go. Exactly. Um. So just j- just bringing it up as like a side thing. Um. There's this <laughs> back on our weeb shit. So there's this <laughs> anime that I watched when I was a kid, uh, very young. Here we go. Uh, called weeb shit. Called Blue Gender. Uh. Do I'm I want to search? Yeah, this? yeah, you can. Yeah, is it uh, blue I'm, seed, not blue gender? No, blue gender. It's uh, I think it was in the nineties that it came out. Maybe safe um, to look at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Wink. all all of the all of the aliens, the 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 the, <laughs> the aliens are like tyranids. They're all bugs, right? And they have They're this all like giant ass bugs. Oh. Yeah, and they have these this weak spot that looks like a big old uh, ooha. Kind of. <laughs> so. <laughs> Do I say it? All right, hey, making Chuck red, red, Hurry, just Tom. Purity seal right here. It looks like a like a clitoris. It's a weak spot, and you have to shoot it. Well, it is a weak spot to kill. It's like its brain almost, and it's weird because it does like this little weird suction cup thing. Like <gasps> you, you guys know the. Uh, it's that, trying to get that, you. They're like, oh, what's that, Miss Frizzle? And like, girl, that's a booty hole. Like that's what it looks oh, like. Oh, like, yeah, it's, it's like pulsating, oh. and, like, making sucking sounds. And like gyrating it's, in so its, its head, a sphin- it's a sphincter, not a clitoris. Well, I mean, but it kind of like I don't know the way uh, that they that that thing right there. Yeah, yeah, it's a sphincter. <laughs> yeah, but 
But I mean, it kind of for some reason, it, yeah, it it, just because it's like right a, because it's put right above a vertical mouth because people who draw anime are perverts. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> dude. So when when the when the wifey saw it and she saw the first alien bug and it's like the little like little ass was gyrating and the mouth opened up, she's like, really. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, just watch the first episode. Right? Just, just make just, it through the first episode. I was like, make it through. I was, she's like, is this Starship Troopers? I'm like, no, 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 no it's, not, it's not Starship Troopers. I swear. It, it's alien bugs. So, I mean, I guess it kind of is Starship Similar. Troopers. I was like, don't worry. It's a, it's got a love story. So it's <laughs> Starship Troopers. <laughs> just like Starship Troopers. Yeah. She cheats on. Oh. Yeah. I told her, I told her, I was like, you can, you can be my I, Dizzy. I can't. It's okay. I can't find it, but there there is this really like controversial D and D map that oh here it is yeah that was controversial. <laughs> no 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 so so like so like when it you, you honestly don't see it <laughs> no you don't you don't see it there's no what is town, that there's a town at the top and then there's a big wet lake what's the town, a town there's a town right at the top what's the town called Worm Pine Worm. I, I, what, what goes on down. Over where the asshole is, what's that town? Is called? that like the, the, the ruined, middle? the ruined Karen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh. no, it, it was, it was. Uh, there was this whole like, I can't remember. There, there's a much worse map where like it's all, all the trees and everything are colored. But there was this map that somebody had drawn, drawn for like a D and D map challenge, and like it had gotten high enough up before somebody had realized that like this dude had literally this person i don't know who was a dude had uh, I, literally drawn like an anatomical vagina and then yeah, just turned I could everything to- into like i could totally see it details but, <laughs> i could totally see it. i was just messing with you but yeah, was, yeah. Uh, that's great <laughs> it was like it was like it's great. really there was like the great chasm and like all of these that, that that is it but that's like a tamer version of what it was i can't find the original and i'm not willing to type in the right things to google because yeah, yeah. <laughs> fair enough fair sometimes we Oops. we made um i, I work bugs good i work for a uh i work for a toy company and a couple of years ago we made a toy that um got pretty far through the entire development process and then myself and the art director like one day walked in and like it's it's it, we put up a bunch of concepts on a board and all of this stuff and we walked in and we're we're, we both just start laughing, and I'm like, "You see it, right?" And he's like, "Yeah, we totally designed a dick. Oh, <laughs> like, no. like, we didn't fucking realize it, and then like for whatever reason, just it hits you all of a sudden, like, ah, oh, fuck, we oh, designed a dick. Oh, nice. You guys ever we, see the original uh, Little Mermaid cover where like all yep. of the all of the architecture yeah. is yep. like, uh, looks like dicks? Look, that yes, very very phallic. Yeah, yeah phallicy. Yeah, I uh. My is that is that how you would say it? <laughs> that's that's how they'd write it in the Tyranid Codex. Yeah, that, yeah, that is <laughs> definitely. Just add a bunch of physics yeah. at the end of it, because like you know you'd see like those little videos. It's like oh my god, the the shit that they this show our that. kids, yeah. blah blah blah. Like only on the original VHS tape, and I'm like, I have the original VHS. Let tape. me see this. So I like looked at it and I was like, that's a dick. Yeah, a lot totally of a dick. So some of it is the fact that like we're just we're just hardwired to pick out patterns. And when we identify a pattern, we can't get rid of it. Like we can't yeah. unsee it. So even Ever. if it wasn't a dick, the fact that somebody suggested to you, it was a dick makes it a dick and you're, yeah. you're forever stuck with dick. Yeah. And you're moving forward. Yeah. It's Dude, pretty great. Uh, it, yeah. I'm like the guy in super bad where he just draws like the just constantly, the, yeah, constantly <laughs> drawing dicks, just like, like different versions, yeah. different styles, yeah, long, different veiny, sizes. Yeah. Triumphant bastards just all over the place. <laughs> 
That, Dude, that's, that's all right, pretty so, epic right there. So, uh, I'm, I'm going to share something. I probably oh, shouldn't, but it's funny. Man. Oh, yeah. So right now. You're drawing pictures. Like no, 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 no. <laughs> so my daughter, she, Uh-oh. for some reason, I, I think I know why, uh, but she's really into drawing mushrooms right now. And I have to, don't have the heart to tell her. <laughs> I know, I know, and, I, and like she like draws. It's, it's probably it's probably the Titanic toe takers logo. Yes. Well, it, it's that and like, and uh, like all, all the your cheerleaders all the over there and like Super Mario. Stuff. Yeah, and like Super Mario and the hippie stuff. Exactly. I was gonna say right now mushrooms are just in too, like uh, yeah. like clothing brands and stuff. Yeah. They're just everywhere. Oh and I'm just like <laughs> mushrooms are going through a weird thing right now. Pineapple, yeah, but it, it's like year. it's fucking weird. It's an innocence thing, right? So, like in my yeah. mind, I'm like, "That's a dick." But I mean, to everybody else, they're like, "Oh, it's a mushroom. That's it's a so cool cute." Mushroom. I'm like, "That's a huge dick." You're like, "Man, there's like there was a mushroom fairy at like a re- Renaissance fair we went to, and I was like, "Hey, it's a dick fairy." <laughs> and she was like passing out little mushrooms. I'm like, "Ah, dick fairy passing out little dicks. It's hilarious. It's great." Where's the Where's the regular size ones? Yeah, <laughs> those are tiny, right, guys? <laughs> she carries around a mushroom. A mushroom Necklace. stool that's like nice and it's like one of those pale mushrooms with a big brown head, and she just sits on it all. That, <laughs> something about caramel or something. It's her stool. <laughs> oh wow, it's her stool. Okay. Um, so the third, the third tyrannic war. So tyrannids love eating ah. mushrooms. Yeah. Very. So the the third tyrannic war, Hive Fleet Leviathan. Marky, you wanna you wanna hit us again, or you wanna make one of the boys read it? Uh, I can I can hit it unless you guys want to. Nah, you I'll it. go for it. All right, cool. Long embarrassing. <clears throat> you don't want to read it, Matt? I, 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 <clears throat> Hello, everyone. Wow. <clears throat> <laughs> Did you do that? Because I'm gonna punch. I'm gonna that's punch. A, I'm gonna punch you in the throat. Okay, go. You should be with my That's my lock up your daughters and shoot your sons. <laughs> Love oh, just coming to town. God, damn. That, that's my that's my hey, version of getting. Yes. Out. Yes. Nobody nobody who listens to just the podcast knows that I do that vocal exercise. You just that's true. That's oh, I'm sorry. It's it's a great vocal exercise that you do. Ecker I love guys. it. Exercise. Exercise. Uh, I love it. Ecker guys. Ecker guys. It. It's, it sets the tone for the pod every time. I love it. Pew pew. <clears throat> All right. <laughs> Third Tyrannic War. High Fleet Leviathan. Only years after the defeat of High Fleet Kraken at Icker Four. That's six. That's four. Six That's would four. be V I. Okay. <clears throat> Icker Four. High Fleet Leviathan drove its tendrils up through the galactic plane, the largest and most widespread High Fleet to date. Leviathan showed clear signs of having learnt from the fates of Behemoth and Kraken. Its swarms continue to pose all pervading threats in the galaxy. You got to remember your weeb shit. Go back to the Final Fantasy VII cover and think of where B I I Final Fantasy VII. The B I okay. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you always yeah, take it back like to weep shit. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So Leviathan's invasion swarms were legion. Its tendrils so spread out that nothing in the galaxy was safe from its advance. By the time the Hive Fleet appeared in the galaxy, the Imperium had recognized several other lesser Hive Fleets, not only splinters from Bahamut and Kraken, but others that were diverse threats on their own. As Leviathan began to make its presence known, many Hive fleets moved in to support it, or maybe hide among this larger fleet. Leviathan also showed an alarming increase in the number of Psyker bioforms, 
and the synaptic brain bugs network. Yep. That link the hive fleet appeared especially powerful, increasing the spread and effectiveness of the shadow and the warp about it. Great armies and even entire Xeno species fled before its advance. Among the first to respond to this new threat was Inquisitor Kripman, who used every resource he had gained in his long and bloody career, including the mass exterminatus of planets. He reasoned that if enough planets could be rendered lifeless in the fleet's path, the Tyranid would starve and their onslaught would be slowed. While his plan met with limited success, his methods proved too extreme for even his most Machiavellian peers, as trillions of Imperial lives had been lost in the purges. He was accused of heresy and declared excommunicate traitorous. I hate how they don't like do excommunicatus traitorous traitorous. They're like excommunicate traitorous. I'm like, come on, guys. If you're going to make one <laughs> word weird, make them both weird. <laughs> However, the madman could not be stopped, and Kripman next engineered the release of a gene-stealer brood within the boundaries of the Orc Empire of Octarius. This lure worked, and a tendril of high fleet Leviathan was drawn to these systems, igniting a ferocious war. While Kripman had hoped that the Xenos races would annihilate one another, he was severely mistaken. The near-endless supply of Orcs meant a truly alarming and replenishing amount of biomass for the Tyranids. While orcs thrive on war and battle, and as the Tyranids got harder and harder to combat, the orcs got larger and larger and continued to be better and better at killing them. Finally, this war started to spill out of the Octarius Empire into neighboring imperial sectors, who reported the massive Xenos monstrosities that were being seen on both sides. <laughs> That's terrifying. Oops. Yeah, fuck that. Super Yay. orcs. <laughs> They're the size of buildings now. Wee. Yeah. yeah, I was I was gonna ask if you were gonna touch on this one. Yeah, that's fucking yeah. stupid. And like the fact that like people were legitimately starting to report like 12, 13 foot tall orcs. <laughs> Just to combat tyrant like that why they exist to combat tyrannids. And this was the whole like fire stop thing that we kind of talked about last week where he just destroyed like a line of uh plants yeah, to so try he- and- he destroyed hundreds of planets in a in a line across the galaxy to try to stop High Fleet Leviathan, and it kind of slowed them down. Like, like they were like, oh yeah, yeah, me- me- measurably slowed them down, but like measurably slowed or measurably is like, yeah, yeah, like you know, an inch or two. Yeah. <laughs> now, now go fight another alien species that just yeah. reads from the air, and good luck with that. Right, exactly, and then and then he pitted him against orcs, and you literally have an endless an endless buffet for the Tyranids, and the orcs are just like, oh, great, bigger and bigger and meaner and meaner things to fight. Where they the orcs are just getting supercharged, essentially, and, and a fight smarter. Always too. going. Yep, there's a fight constantly yeah. going. Let's go there. And yeah, because they're... and because the Tyranids' tactics adapt and change, unlike the Imperium's tactics. The orcs can't just stay and they're like single-minded, we'll beat it until it dies. They have to start outthinking the Tyranids, which means that when those orcs get out, they're even better at fighting the Imperium because they've been fucking supercharged by Tyranids. Thanks. Yep, that's coming, boys. Thanks, Octarius. Octarius was the second of the three battle books for ninth edition. I believe so, yeah. Octarius at Kark. Carcharidon, Octarius, and then Nephilim. So, I believe so, yeah. So Inquisitor Nasir Sahasan, along with his allies, established the Cordon Imperiatra, hoping to contain the growing Xenos War. 
However, this wall was far from finished when the Tyranids and Orc forces began to assault it. And this was only one example of the widespread destruction of this new war against the Tyranids. The shrine world of St. Casaplian was turned into a slaughterhouse by burrowing Tyranids and the infamous Death Leaper. Proof that faith alone was no defense against this onslaught of tireless hunger. The hive mind had learned much from Battlefleet Ultima's ambush tactics in the past, and when the Battlefleet met with Leviathan in the Battle of Bloodstar, the fleet lost more ships than they could afford. Griffin IV, a mighty forge world, fell to Leviathan, all its knowledge lost to the gnashing maws of the Great Devourer. So this was like a planet with STLs that just... Gone. Uh, not STCs, sorry. That just fucking vanished. Just gone. All that shit's gone. The system of... Pyre Haven, Ninth Gift, Gossamer's Rest, and an Abdrala all went dark and silent. Their last cries warned that the Tyranids' attacks were spread as far as the Segmentum Obscurus, even into the Segmentum Solar. So they were basically getting reports from all over the galaxy of this shit happening. It wasn't, it wasn't like before, where Kraken had been, kind of been in one region and Bahamut had pretty much only attracted Ultramar. They were like, oh, there's shit, there's shit like 200 light years away from Earth. That's scary. It was during the Third Tyrannic War that the Great Rift tore open. As systems went dark, cut off from the light of the Astronomicon, they were easy prey for Leviathan. Even on the side of the Rift, fortunate enough to be in the Emperor's light, was besieged by demons and the warp calamities of all different kinds. Leviathan took great advantage of these reeling worlds, lunging into the scattered and panic imperium efforts at any form of resistance however even leviathan had to deal with the demonic incursions and as such beings don't offer any biomass substance for the hive fleet the hive mind had to find ways to adapt to fight them for if the hive mind became bound up in wars against chaos for too long it would begin to starve in a way the hive mind took up the fight against chaos although in its own extreme self-focused way and when the biomass was either in the way or available during these battles, it was still consumed. So there, there's little bits here and there of people being like, oh, the Tyranids are helping us fight chaos. Oh, I'm in, uh, my leg's gone. Yeah. <laughs> like, essentially, like, because the Tyranid, you know, sure, the Tyranid, the Carnifex is going to fight the demon right next to you until the demon's dead, and then the Carnifex is going to fucking eat you because you're standing next to it like a <laughs> dumbass. And it needs biomass. Yeah. yeah, energy. Yeah, that's crazy that the like uh, demons and necrons, in a sense, are kind of like the anti anti tyranid. Yeah, when because uh, you you don't really think about that when you're like, oh, tyranids are the big bad. Like, there's no way to stop them. They're just gonna keep coming. They're kind of like the flood. The only way to kill them is like just to starve you know, them. Yeah, or, exactly. Or, or overwhelming force them out of existence. Right, and even then, like they can always regroup gain more biomass and come right back at you, but bigger and better yeah. Uh, because they, they understand your tactics now. So it's weird because they can't really adapt to Demons. things with, without biomass, right? They can adapt to tactics, but they can, it's, you know, uh, what do you call it? It's a, uh, it, it's a win loss uh, statement. Like essentially it costs too much to deal right. with. It's like Demons. a war of attrition. Thank you. That's yeah. what I was thinking. More of attrition. Yeah. 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 Pro it, it, it there's definitely some profit, but there's more like, you know, because 
demon hosts, demon armies normally have lots of like cultists. Yep. And they can obviously eat the cultists, but they're, they're not know. getting any benefit from the demons. So High Fleet Leviathan had to come up with a way to deal with it. And we will talk about High Fleet Kronos a little bit later on. So we have a quote from Commander Dante, Lord of the Angelic Hosts, during the Battle of Baal. And I'm pretty sure Chuck would like to read it because he loves. That's old man voice, Chuck. Old man voice. Uh, do a do an exercise real quick for your voice. Yeah. It's in uh, italics. <clears throat> do you have your glasses, Chuck? She doesn't. Wow. He does. He does. Oh, phew, thank God. Thank Papa Nurgle. Oh, I was assuming that he was going to give me shit for making him read the Blood Angel thing. I don't give a fuck. I love talking shit. He's like, he's like Space Marines. Yeah. Oh, he's like, man, we get shit on the most. Space Marines. I mean, actually, I'll give you Dante. He's pretty cool. Our light shall not gutter. Out beneath a shroud of blackness, these Xenos filth will not prevail. I vow to you, all of you who share the angel's noble blood, we will cast down these beasts. We will sunder their hosts, for their end has come. Commander Dante, Lord of the Jellicos, during the Battle of Ball. So here we go, Marky. The Battle for Ball. Battle of Balls. Battle of Balls. A tendril of High Fleet Leviathan invaded the Cryptus system, a system that had intended to act as a fortified shield against any threat to the Blood Angel homeworld of Ball. The system is overrun, and although Chapter Master Dante leads a desperate counterattack, possibly with Zeno's allies, nothing can halt Leviathan's advance through this system. The Tyranid Swarm moves deeper into the Red Scar, bearing down on Ball. Knowing the chapter's very survival is at risk, Dante sends out a massive call to all of the Blood Angel's successor chapters, and they respond by coming to Ball's aid, including the Flesh Terrors and even the excommunicated Knights of Blood. Uncountable Tyranid Swarms and Hive Ships choke the Ball system threatening the world and its moons, even though a massive void battle wages for several hours, pitting the combined might of several Imperial war fleets against the tide of Tyranids, eventually invasion swarms descend upon Ball, Ball Prime, and Ball Secundus. Ball is fortified with rebuilt defenses that date back to the Horus Heresy, manned by Blood Angels and their successors. These dug-in and embedded troops force High Fleet Leviathan to spawn and deploy every bioform it has at its disposal, including the Swarm Lord, which leads this assault. By the 19th successive attack wave, the defenders of Ball have been pushed to the brink. Five chapter masters lay dead, and the doom of the Blood Angels and all their successors looms over the guttering and failing defenses. It is at this critical moment that the Great Rift tears the galaxy asunder, with many of the High Fleet ships being swallowed by the warp and vanishing to other places unknown. However, the battle is far from over. On Ball Prime, Demon Lord Kabanda leads a vast demonic host to butcher Tyranids and Space Marines alike. Only through the sacrifice of the remaining Knights of Blood Space Marines do the, does Gabriel Seth and the Last of the Flesh Terrors make an escape. Meanwhile on Ball, Dante has exhausted all of his options and the Blood Angels have entered it a desperate last stand. Dante throws himself into single combat against the Swarm Lord. He suffers ghastly wounds, but succeeds at lopping the Swarm Lord's head from its shoulders. High above an orbit, just as the High Fleets vanished, a new fleet appeared in its place, 
and Reboot Gilliman himself leads the Indominus Crusade drop pod assault that sees the last of the Tyranids purged from the Blood Angels' ravaged homeworld. So again, a couple of chapters just blink out of existence during the Third Tyranic War. Um, and, and again, the Ultramarines show up and save the day. Yeah, um, but you notice when the Ultramarines show up in all these stories? It's at right the end. At the- at the end. <laughs> you know what? what? And they're blue and white. I wonder if I wonder now that you mentioned that, Uh-oh. I wonder if fucking G dub is poking fun at Americans with ultramarines. Hmm. I didn't think about it like that. I Cause like the Americans showed up at the end of both world wars to save the day and the space and the ultramarines always show up at the end to save the day. No, it's it's a reflection of the old British Empire. It's the they're the Roman. Yeah, they're they're yeah. not now. I was gonna say I believe that uh, this this tyrannic war for like the Battle of Ball. I believe that's uh, part of the game Battle Sector. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, Ryan. It's one of the newer games that just came yeah. out, like a tactics game. Yeah, it, uh, I, I say newer, but it's probably been a couple of years now. All the ball stuff is new as of eighth and ninth edition. I want to say this is lore that started coming out with Psychic Awakening, but yeah, like like a lot of the stuff that deals with High Fleet Leviathan is this is like this is the shit that's happening right now in the forty first millennium, like the you know <laughs> the forty second whatever millennia we're yeah, in. Yeah, so. So the this war is going on while Abaddon is tearing through space and just blowing up Cadia. Yeah, yeah. So all but, that's uh, happening within years of each other at the same time. So Hive Fleet Leviathan started to attack the Imperium, and while this attack was happening, Abaddon launched the Thirteenth Black Crusade. So the Thirteenth gotcha. Black Crusade makes the Great Rift open, and during this assault on Ball, the Great Rift literally tears the hive fleet out of orbit and it doesn't destroy the hive fleet like don't don't get it twisted the warp swallows the hive fleet and spits it out somewhere else where it just keeps attacking because we we covered this in the last episode when tyranid hive fleets get sucked into the warp they don't suffer like everything else does you know the tyranids get a good fight because yeah they fight the shit that gets on their ships uh, i was i was gonna ask about that what you guys think about that because i think it has to do with the shadow and the warp, just the the way uh, that they repress everything. I think it has to do. They have no souls. It could be that too. It could I be mean, that too. The, the warp's all about you know that's where all the souls go. So, but the demons still actively fight the tyranids. That's because they like to fight. Now think about it. You don't have a soul. You go in the warp. You don't need a Geller field because nothing's going to corrupt you. I thought that was more yeah. like blanks. I thought blanks were like said to have no soul, and that's why they're. That's why, but but they actually like hurt demons, right? Yeah, yeah, they actually hurt they're, demons. their influence. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I that's an interesting. I I think it's probably a it, it's probably a mixture of like they don't burn as brightly like the tau, like their souls aren't as tasty, um, and they probably don't you know. Like, there's not a lot of demonic incursions where demons show up and kill a bunch of, like, wolves because wolves aren't, their, their souls aren't that bright. Yeah. So yeah. that's probably part of they it. Don't, they don't feed the gods. Yeah, I feel like... Yeah, well, animals my, don't feed the gods, they're, essentially. They're not, the Tyranids aren't corruptible by chaos. I think at the same time, though, the Shadow and the Warp 
probably fucking hurts and like shoves demon. Well, we know it hurts and shoves demons back. Well, we'll talk more in detail here in a minute. <clears throat> but yeah, in uh, in Battle Sector to get back to that. Yeah, sorry. Uh, a- actually, in the game, it shows <clears throat> the Blood Angels being reinforced with uh, Primaris units. So like as it talks about how like the the blood angels are getting pushed back and like the firstborn are like they're they're getting getting fucked up and I think like as you progress through it more and more primaris units are like produced and given to you and like reinforced so that way uh, you can fight back against the tyranids. <clears throat> yeah, and we'll we'll definitely as I mentioned up top in this episode we'll definitely come back to a lot of this stuff when we're talking about the space marine chapters. Um, and we'll get more in depth on what happened from their side. This is kind of like the Tyranids fight or the Tyranids side. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Essentially how, how, and, and you know, the, the things that are the, the big takeaways are again, you know, that the tier again, in another Tyrannic war, the third Tyrannic war, there's some chapter that was just wiped out. Like it's just gone. That entire chapter is gone. The Tyranids ate the entire thing. Yeah. Um, and that's the, you know, the, the whole implication there is to make the Tyranids as scary as possible. Yep. No, I get that. All right. So, Hive Fleet Gorgon. Who wants to, who wants to read my little, my little bitty there? I don't mind it. <clears throat> Hive Fleet Gorgon. No other Hive has been documented to possess the swift and insidious adaptability of Hive Fleet Gorgon. Its broods have been observed to hyper-adapt even between one attack wave and the next, outwitting and outpacing even the most strategically flexible prey in their eventual hideous doom. Mostly active in the eastern fringe, no other race has borne more of the brunt of Gorgon's fury than the Tau Empire, who have possibly fought them for the last several centuries. However, Gorgon's fury and malice have touched all others in the galaxy. Gorgon is highly adaptable and extremely fast to respond to changing threats. They also favor toxic bio-warfare, displaying a wide variety of spore mines and other microscopic spores. The swarm attacks under clouds of toxins and fogs designed to worm in through even sealed suits and rebreathers. Even the smallest lungful is enough to turn the lungs black and have them burst from the inside out. Venomthropes spread even more murk and spog and spore fog. Sprog, I like that. That that's spore fog, sprog. Spore yeah, new fog. Word. Screening their oncoming advances. Toxicrins and malanthropes move in as heavy reinforcement reinforcements to crush any lingering resistance. All Gorgon bioforms have toxin sacs within them. As they fight and consume their prey on the field, these toxin sacs break down their victim race's DNA and begin to tailor even worse toxic attacks. Eventually, even brushing up against a Gorgon bioform can cause their foes to literally melt away. So there actually is a case in lore where even though the Termagant is dead, it's a Gorgon Termagant, and the guy touches it, and he start, like a couple of hours later, he starts to melt. Oh, that's Jesus. horrible. Yeah. Gorgon toxins have managed to outpace Tau science and the horrific arm race that has taken place in the Eastern Fringe. Their toxins have even become the plague, have even overcome plague marines, specifically on the Space Hulk Venom Vorax. Recently, Gorgon has struck 
out at AgriWorlds, and it is feared that the Paragus taint is already spreading in some Imperial systems. Hive Fleet Gorgon's colors are green, tan, and black. I dig those colors. Poisonous. Yeah. I definitely like I, I like that they specifically have a, like, their toxins killed plague marines. Because, like... Yeah, that's pretty nice. Like, their, their toxins are bad enough to kill Nurgle shit. Like, that's... Yeah. That's pretty bad. You know so, what's fucked up? That's pretty fucked up. <laughs> yeah, that is. So, High Fleet Jormungandr. High Fleet Jormungandr, sometimes referred to simply as the Great Serpent, hunts in the most unusual fashion, favoring subterranean movement and sudden shocking assaults. It stays out of sight and keeps its prey guessing. Many are the armed hosts that believe the High Fleet Jormungandr defeated shortly before they were swallowed up from below. The Jormungandr Hive Fleet seems to hang back an atypical tactic for the Tyranids and begin to use their ship tendrils to hurl space rocks at the planet. Originally, this was assumed to be a replacement for the normal planetary bombardment that prey species often use in their own as tactics against each other. And because of this, they employed a lot of their countermeasures for orbital bombardment, like blasting as many of these rocks out of the sky as they can. However, these space rocks are infested with hundreds of cocooned and protected raveners, molochs, and trigons, who, in packed with the planet, oh. wake up and burrow deep into the planet's crust. The hive ships then begin to attack like normal, allowing the infestation below the prey world's feet to grow. So basically, after they've done this, the hive fleet goes on the like, hey, look at me, I'm up here, attack me. The burrowing nids seek out new food and multiply, often the only hint of their activity being odd tectonic spikes or the vanishing of an outlying mine or entire stockpiles of deep resources being swallowed up in cavens or random chasms. Then they attack from below, swarming up to assault fortifications and garrisons, still looking to the skies and attacking the threat above. Even if the world somehow manages to break the attack and survive, the surviving bioforms just burrow deeper than they can be found or detected easily and begin the slow process of rebuilding, striking from, a blow, from below again and again and punishing unending cycles. So Jormungandr's colors are black and orange-yellow with like a red hint to them. Dude, uh, I'm not going to lie, that's... That's one of my favorite color schemes for Tyranids. Uh, it yeah. kind of reminds me of the uh, Spectres from uh, StarCraft. Ooh, Dude. good callback. Yeah. Um, Dude, their tactic is like like yeah. when it's fully laid out, it's insidious. It's, it's like the, the orc rocks where orcs just yeah. throw rocks with teleporters at you. Yeah, it kind of <laughs> reminds me of like uh, War of Worlds where they, were, oh, they would send yeah, the pilots down into. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty dope. So I, I like the green. I like the green. Yeah. Yeah. The green the, and tan. Uh, the Gorgon my, paint scream. I, I got to remember my buddy's high fleet. Oh, God damn. He has a cool name for it. Um, But his color scheme is uh just straight black and red. Like, like that? With, with uh, uh, tan highlights. Uh, he's the opposite, though. So his. Oh. Uh, his. Uh, That's high fleet Kronos. Yeah, his high his uh, carapaces or carapi. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know what's Cro plural. Chronos is black or red and black. 
yeah. but his carapaces are are red, and then the skin is all black. Yeah, that's yeah, that's high fleet Kronos. Yeah, oh, is that Kronos? Yeah, yeah. I thought they were like a greenish color. No, this is dope. All right, Marky, up. Yep. High fleet Kronos, faced with the sudden upsurge in demonic incursions caused by the Great Rift, the hive mind has been forced to adapt swiftly. High fleet Kronos is an example of its newly refined strategy for doing battle with ethereal enemies that provide no biomass to replenish that expended in driving them back. Excuse me, sir. I will not have you mock me. (laughs) (laughs) That was good, dude. I loved it. Let's let's try and let's try. So Kronos fights with an unusual strategic amount of caution. Kronos fights with an unusual strategic amount of caution, and the shadow in the warp that precedes them is much stronger than any other encountered, although it has a much smaller footprint around the hive fleets. Their suffocating powers focused into the shadow and the warp will consume the very essence of powerful psychers. All the energy is basically ripped out of these psychers and goes right back into powering up the swarm. It's so powerful that it can even snuff out demons completely and has been observed pushing back and shrinking warp anomalies and warp storms. They focus on ranged combat, only committing to assaults when victory is assured conserving biomass like no other. Behind their lines, feeder beasts collect the tyranid dead for recycling with marked efficiency. So essentially, they're so focused on fighting and knowing they're not going to get biomass from the fight that they constantly recycle their own dead to produce more ranged combatants. Kronos has a symbiotic relationship with High Fleet Leviathan following in the other fleet's wake to consume biomass that has been specifically left behind for it. While also spreading along the boundaries of the Great Rift, it focuses on choking off warp wherever possible. While it might be tempting to think that they could be allies against the forces of chaos, Kronos strikes out on any unsuspecting prey world as viciously and as furiously as any other high fleet, and will even target more psychically active prey if it's hungry enough. Attacking craft worlds and Imperium planets, especially Imperial planets that are thick with mutants and psychers alike, all to fuel their war against demons and the Great Rift. Their colors are deep red, or I'm sorry, are deep purple, black, and red. So it's kind of like a black or a black purple. That's it. It's cool. They're, they have one I of like the cooler. That, yeah. They have one of the yeah. cooler. Yeah, he has, um, he has like uh, all of his scything talons and like, uh, Hooves and teeth are all beige, and then oh, he does. Cool. Yeah, uh, that that's a little more classic. The picture I I have pulled up is a little is like more of an interpretation. It's a cool yeah. one though. I like how the uh, the what is it uh, credits for the artist are lewd cookies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Damn, dude. I want to say his high fleets like because uh, it, it is a, a custom is it a high custom fleet one? that he made. It's yeah. So it's like pictures. a darker. It's a darker red, almost like a burgundy. That's cool. Um, oh. But it's a uh, burgundy black and then yeah, beige. But uh, I want to say it's like High Fleet Hermes. I want to say that's what he called it. But essentially, uh, a little bit of lore on on his High Fleet is they essentially took out uh, an imperial system that had uh, that was very Titan rich. Um, and the two Warhound Titans that I have uh, oh, were survivors okay. of of his High Fleet, and the Death Watch essentially 
uh, escaped with them. They eva they evac them, uh, and the two warhounds that survived are the last two surviving warhounds of that system. Uh, repainted their their, uh, their Titans armor to match, yeah, to match the colors of his high fleet. That's cool. I like yeah. that. That's dope, dude. That's super so that, dope. That's why my my Death Watch have two warhounds in their in their watch. That's dope. Yeah, I like so that, that was, a lot. Uh, my brother's chose painted them. Sick. <laughs> yeah, I, I I got photos. I got I got sent you. Yeah, share 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 with. Ryan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, send them to me because I'll I'll put them up on the socials and all that. They're they're older photos, but yeah, I I cool. what was I gonna um, say? Oh, so what I'm old? No, no. I'm sure there's an inquisitor out there thinking <sighs> like that last one. Oh, let's send, send them to the orcs. Yeah, let's hey, gather. Let's send them at, no, yeah. let's gather Kronos, try and capture them. And we start closing off rifts. So what what happened at least in one like short like one aside story that I had encountered is that Chronos uh, had appeared and didn't attack the planet the nearby planet at all because there was warp shit to deal with. So Chronos dealt with warp shit, and the planet basically was like oh, and they kind of stand down, you know that they, they like stand down their defenses because they don't have to deal with. They don't have to deal with the demons anymore, and but but Tyranids and the demons are fighting each other. So they're like, "Oh, cool! We can, you know, we can do whatever, whatever we need to do." Like like friends re- rebuilding. Like it was more like they internally focused. They like they were focused on rebuilding and everything. And like part of Kronos was basically watching. And as soon as they like turned like turned their guns off, essentially, and like refocused their efforts into like rebuilding and shoring up the city, High Fleet Kronos was like mm, free lunch. <laughs> Yum. Yeah. And that's the whole thing. Like, you might think Kronos is on your side, but if you're in the fucking way or you're just a tempty snack, uh, a tempting yeah. snack, you're gone. Like, they don't, they, they, they care about growing their numbers so they can be more efficient at fighting demons. So, so uh, my buddy's high fleet is high fleet Haros. 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 I like that. If he has any lore, you should, uh, you should have him send it. Yeah, the the only tidbits of lore that I've been able to uh, squeeze out of him are essentially that of him facing off against my Death Watch when they pulled those Warhounds out of the system. Well, um, I know he listens to the podcast, so we want more lore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Give us more. I, uh, I tried to get him on for the Tyranid uh, for the Tyranid episodes, but he works uh, when we record, so oh, got it's been you. A, it's been a little rough. At some point, we'll get him on. We'll figure it out. Yeah, definitely. I, we'll, fin- I sent, we'll finger it out. We'll talent it out. I sent you some of the picks. Toe picks. Ooh. High oh, fleet. Nice. What high Ooh. fleet are these? Are these Kronos? Oh, yeah. these are Kronos. Look at him in technology. Look at beepity boppity, and it happens. God. You just, slap, you just clap your hands together and it just shows up. Man, these that's are good, the, dude. That's the, whatchamacallit, the Lictor. So I try, I tried painting it to look like he's a... Lictor? I hardly knew her. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to match his uh, chameleon base. stuff. I like that green tint. Yeah, chameleon. I do too. I like that a lot. Well, they're poison. <laughs> I was oh, like, I like green they're warp. is poison. They're, they're anti-warp. Yeah, these are dope, dude. I'll, I'll definitely post these up on our socials. Socials. All right, Marky. High Fleet Hydra. At first glance, High Fleet Hydra presents as amongst the smaller and less perilous of its kind. This Impression is only reinforced by its hive ship's seeming contentment to lurk in the wake of larger swarms and feed on their scraps. It is only when Hydra surges suddenly forward to attack 
that the illusion is shattered. Like it. So Hydra is a more recent addition to the party, following along in the wake of other larger and slower hive fleets. Able to move much more swiftly, Hydra's hive fleets are ruthless scavengers, following, falling on and devouring shattered splinter fleets and abandoned hive tendrils as readily as they consume other more conventional prey. They will also attack planets that are recently defeat that have recently defeated other hive fleets, taking advantage of the weakened state of these worlds. Magos biologist Ekros Van Zendrek has been able to follow hive fleet has been able to follow this hive fleet by using stealth technology, amassing a great manner of notes and observations that the Imperium should be able to use to face this rapidly advancing new threat, at least as long as he continues to survive. Hydra has the ability to spawn massive swarms in a very short amount of time, and since they focus on eating the remnants of both high fleets and the defending worlds, they have amassed a huge wealth of sense memory with which to use in its own adaptability. When Hydra does invade a planet, they also seed the upper atmosphere with thousands of reserved tyrannocytes. And when, the war- and when a warrior dies on the planet's surface, a synaptic signal rushes through this network, sending ever greater numbers of reinforcing bio-warriors to the very spot the last one died. Cut off one head, and two will grow in its place. Hydra's colors are navy blue and purple. Very uh, similar to like the typical gene-stealer colors, right? Yeah, very, very similar to stereotypical gene-stealer colors. So... Hive Fleet Hydra is super interesting because and we talk about that that those two lost legions, those two lost space marine marine legions essentially being established so you could do whatever you wanted. Hive Fleet Hydra originally had the same flavor. They were introduced so you could do whatever you wanted with them and and have an excuse for Tyranids fighting Tyranids. Um in more recent lore this is more common of a thing. Hydra does it the most. Like, Hydra's known for doing it. But a hive fleet will come across the remnants of another <coughs> tendril, and it'll just re- it'll reclaim that biomass. Essentially, that biomass is wasted because it's no longer massively connected to a hive fleet. So the larger hive fleet will consume it and reproduce more ships and more warriors based on that material. But Hydra does it like as a manner of course and hydra also swoops in on those planets that are still reeling from whatever that last battle was so hydra will show up fucking eat the hive fleet that just got its ass kicked by the planet and then the planet which barely survived the last (laughs) tyranid attack gets attacked by a fresh force (laughs) i didn't hear no bell yeah right They're, they're the, mm. is that, they're the is that, desktop tower defense of the uh, high fleet world. <laughs> is this uh, Tiamat? Is that how you say that? Yeah, Tiamat. 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 Give me one. High fleet Tiamat is heavily adapted for defensive warfare. This alone has been enough to draw puzzled and alarmed scrutiny from many from many prey races. From the fleet's behavior seems atypical of the usual, never-ending predatory onslaught. The more that groups like humanity's Ordo Xenos or the seer of Craftworld Eandon learn of Tiamat, the deeper grows 
their dread. So Tiamat is the growing threat that seems to be mostly content to sit in a defensive position within the Tiamat system itself. The Ordos Xenos has come to believe that the Tiamat and some of its vanguard organisms have been in the galaxy since M35. We talked about that giant bioconstruct the size of a content continent in the first episode. That is a Tiamat construct. These tendrils are concentrated in this one region of space and have been content with the biomass of non-sentient planets as well as any convoys that are stupid enough to stray too close. Only time, The only time prey species have suffered majorly at the claws of Tiamat have been when they have strayed too far in or attempted specifically to purge or investigate the hive fleet swarms. Their chitinous armor has been reported to be as hard as diamond, and their flesh appeal appears to be able to regenerate rapidly, as in front of your eyes. Tiamat's strength lies in its mastery of defensive yeah. actions. So costly have these assaults been that justifying them in the face of other Tyranid offensives has been difficult. However, the folly of this is becoming known as the Hive Fleet's tendrils grow and begin to push out aggressively. Gene, the Gene Stealer cult, the Choir of the Void, strips entire worlds of biomass in the form of conquest and abduction, bringing these great feasts back to their Tiamat masters. The biostructures on the world of Xyphoria have become a greater and greater threat to psychers who have complained of the ever-growing psychic screams emanating from the region. Tiamat's colors are Green, blue, and white. I don't know how I feel about this scheme. Oh, wait. No, this is... That's Ouroboros. This is... Yeah. Sorry. I don't know how I feel about this scheme. It's a little... Uh, I don't know. White. white, Off white and green, not your favorite? No. I don't think so. Like, the, the fleshy colors just kind of make it, like... Uh, yeah, it's a little it, weird. I, yeah. I can feel that. that. That's just me, too. I mean, if that if that's your bag, that's your bag, man. I don't, I don't know. I think busy. these... I think the two things that are super cool about Tiamat are one, they've been around for fucking ever and they're just chilling. Um, and two, the way that their gene stealer cult operates, the choir of the void doesn't like, they don't do the normal gene stealer thing where they, you know, they make a planet fall and then Tiamat shows up and eats everything. They literally go out and do conquest of planets or entire systems and just like black ship the entire population essentially, and then yep. bring it back to the Tiamat sector and just feed it to the Tyrant. I, <laughs> I I like it. I mean, so that, that, fucked up. <laughs> maybe maybe they're the heart of the Tyranids. Yeah, like maybe that maybe the they're, uh, they're, maybe these continent sized things are the hive minds. Yeah, they're they're just throwing out. You know, we're gonna throw this fleet out there and it's gonna come in a back way yeah you know what i mean like here's the home base right yeah i don't know something off-putting about the fleshy tones <laughs> on a tyranid like it's just like an ugly you know, baby or something you like know a, what like a freshly born baby yeah it's, it's <laughs> like, trust it's me like, i know what like that looks like it's like a cat with no hair yeah it's like a naked mole rat i do like their uh tactics though uh, definitely yeah. interesting here's their maybe maybe i paint a tyranid up for you that marky Please don't. Oh, please don't. Here, All here's flesh. Their, here's their other coloration. That's I, not bad. I like that I, one I like better. That, yeah. Yeah. I actually, I dig that. Yeah. They, but, I mean, uh, they, 
the thing is, you know, they, they give you coloration recommendations in the book and then people like use those base colors and kind of go off and do their own thing. Yeah. I just tried, yeah. I tried to not find a bunch of gaunts to show on the video. Yeah. By the way, if you're wondering what we're talking about, podcast listeners, there's a video version of this over on Patreon for only $3 a month. Shameless plug. <laughs> You'll see all of this. Let's get it. Yeah, I like, I like that one better. That, that's actually a more soothing color. Yeah, less ugly baby, more uh, well, you know, Mr. Freeze. Ooh. You know? Arnold? Everybody chill. <laughs> Never <laughs> seen that movie. Wow. <laughs> speaking speaking of the Mr. Freeze uh, color scheme, are you ready to Ouroboros us to death? Oh, High Fleet Ouroboros. The swarms of High Fleet Ouroboros bring death on dark wings, striking swiftly and in great numbers. Their warrior organisms fill the skies of the prey world and descend with piercing shrieks to rend and tear. So apparently the color scheme that you guys don't like is one of the <laughs> ones that people use for Ouroboros a lot too. Uh-huh. But the traditional colors of Ouroboros are black and blue. The black carapace and blue body with like bone talons and hooves. Uh, similar, well, that, that was uh, Tiamat. Similar-ish was to the, Was the fleshy one in the color. The fleshy right, green. so so T- Tiamat is like a fleshy off green with a darker darker green carapace with fleshy off green, uh, off white, yeah, off white. Thank you. Um, under undertone, skin skin tone, skin yeah. tone, yeah, baby tones. It's like baby the tone. like you know how Faking like at. you know how uh, what do you call Check it? like off putting the. Uh, great clean one looks like oh god yeah, yeah, oh, yeah 100 percent. how would you say that that's what tiamat reminds me of the great clean so one. <laughs> so imperial xenobiologists and scholars theorize that high fleet ouroboros might actually be the ancient of its kind as there are some original historical accounts by cardinal Miramalis of the Eldar that tell of a legion of Ouroboros described as hosts of winged Xenos horrors aflamed with infernal age that descended upon the world around Thriatian Primaris. So these are the ones that have a lot of like the old rumors. I think I had kind of mentioned in brief that there were old accounts that may have stretched back to like way before what we consider to be modern 40k. So others cite the primitive nature of Hive Fleet Ouroboros' organisms as an indicator of its antiquity. The organic samples recovered from battles against the Hive Fleet appear almost primordial in their rugged simplicity, especially when compared to the more refined biomorphs of Hive Fleets such as Leviathan or Kronos. They're not weak, though. The horrified accounts of those who have battled in their swarms reveal this simplicity to be their strength. Their strategies refined during the Terneric Wars proved ineffective against Ouroboros warrior organisms. Armies expecting to exploit anatomical weaknesses or weak anatomical weak points or other weak spots and carefully documented instinctive behaviors and vulnerabilities that were tailored around gene toxins or the other like things that the Tyranids worked, all of those notes did shit against Ouroboros. That's, Even, that's great. 
Yeah. So only one prey species in the galaxy remains consistently unfazed by High Fleet Ouroboros. Most Oryx care little for its strategy and wouldn't recognize its global coordination if it grew fangs and bit them. As such, the green-skinned warbands welcome the onslaught of the skyborne swarms of High Fleet Ouroboros with the same glee that they go into any other fight. So Ouroboros' main tactic is to basically blanket everything with as many flying organisms as they can, and they swarm on things. So think like um, like sky piranhas. <laughs> Ooh. There you go. Sky piranhas. Uh, have you guys ever seen uh, the crudes? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they had those uh, like little oh. bat piranha things that oh. would fly around, yeah. and they use like fire to distract it. I'm assuming it's the- like... Little flying rippers, essentially. Yeah, essentially. The way that the way that Ouroboros like flight attacks are kind of described is like a if if you've seen the newest Jurassic Park, Jurassic World, or whatever, they're in the they're in the like B seventeen flying fortress, and the pterodons start ripping chunks out of it until it crashes. Like that's what the Ouroboros does. Ouroboros, oh, like they're it. not shooting you. They're not like literally giant fucking. Bat winged in your face, giant are ripping off parts off of yeah, are ripping parts off of your fucking aircraft. <laughs> please stop. Was that <laughs> was that please. my was that my stabilization fin? Did the stabilization fin just fall off my ship? Yeah, fucking Maverick over here fighting right, right. for his life. Just watch, yeah. just watch, Ooh. just watch Maverick. Great movie, by the way. It is a good. Movie. Fuck, fucking giant tyranid lands on the back of your fucking f-14 and you're like looking back at it trying to figure out what to do about it and it literally just rips out one of your jet engines and it doesn't even like send you spinning away into something it rips out a jet engine and then just goes back to flying towards somebody else literally doesn't give a fuck about what happens to you after it rips out the engine it's just like yeah you don't need this anymore that's why you just hit the brakes and fly on by (laughs) there you go (laughs) So High Fleet Leviathan, as we covered in the Third Tyrannic War earlier in this episode, is the most widespread and varied Hive Fleet, using not only the majority of the bioforms and tools at its, disposable, at its disposal, but also the widest variety of tactics. High Fleet Leviathan's colors are the box art standard of purple and bone. So they're and they're and they're the one that's the current in in lore and everything going on in forty k right now. They are the ones one. that are currently the, uh, battling. Poster with us. child, essentially. Was yeah. there a different uh, high fleet that was the poster child before uh, Leviathan? Behemoth. Uh, which one was that? The well, we'll talk about. We'll talk about uh, him here in a uh, second. Uh, oh, okay, okay. Bad noises. Yeah, but blue, blue, black carapace and red bodies. Mommy and daddy are fighting. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I remember that. Yeah. That is As that we, is some scary colors, man. That's like demon yeah. colors, essentially. Yeah. The uh, blue, like black I, carapace and the red skin. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's freaky shit. They fight. So as <laughs> we covered in our last episode, and as Marky just brought up, High Fleet Bahamut favors large bioforms, anything that can be considered a massive, living, hulking tank. Their tactics are very similar. Simple brute force. Overwhelm the em- enemy with larger and larger bodies. Their colors are blue, black carapace on top of red skin. And oddly enough, I, so, so Hive Fleet, they who thirst, my Hive Fleet, operates with a mixture of Bahamut and, what would you say, Marky? Uh, Kraken? Or Kraken? Kraken? I thought it was yeah. one of those. 
Well, I, I used to use Kraken rules because Kraken used to allow you to roll three uh, for advances. You would roll three D6 and you would pick the highest. Right. But they don't do that anymore. I mean, they still have a good advanced rule. But yeah, I pretty much play a, a mixture of of rushing small shit into your face and backing it up with large monsters. Big bugs. Um, yeah. Gotta I, love, gotta love big bugs. Very, you always have to have big bugs. Yeah. I very much favor gene stealers over termagants and hormagants, but I think I'm going to start fielding more termagants and hormagants. Uh, gene stealers, gene stealers are, are definitely have a place in my heart, but I think it's time for a change. Not, I've been running do, gene stealer core for, for a long you. time. Not They're not as good. Now. They're not as good as they were in eighth. They just aren't. The more big bugs, because those are frustrating. I just love big bugs. Like it's the, I think it's everybody the aesthetic. Does. It's the aesthetic of the army. Just having giant bugs is fun. So yeah. frustrating to play against, though. It's like I did this amount of wounds. Cool. I got six more. Oh, and now I'm regenerating. Yeah, but uh, but as Marky can attest, Kev has taken out a Moloch in like one shot. So and Molochs should be in my opinion, should survive against a fucking sergeant's plasma pistol a little bit longer than one turn. But (laughs) they're supposed to burrow burrow attack when they come up, and for some reason they can't. I'm like, what the fuck? Do not not fluff them out as they eat people from below and then be like, put them 10 inches away from the nearest unit you can assault. Like, that doesn't, that's not burrowing up and eating the unit from underneath. Didn't, that's didn't, that's normal deep strike. Didn't they used to do damage in one of the previous editions when they came up? They do. They still do it now. You just uh, have to you it, you have to shenanigans it. You have to shenanigans it. It's always fun. For some reason, they keep remind like they remind me of. Uh, you guys ever see uh, Powerpuff Girls? Yeah the yes. the evil cat thing with the black yeah. armor. Uh, Is it a cat thing? I thought it was him. Uh, they to refer to him. It as him. But it's yeah. basically like a little Satan dude with crab claws. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm apparently getting, I, I know exactly what you're thinking. I was thinking it's color schemes, but uh, the, the samurai pizza cats art for some reason. <laughs> oh, oopsies. <laughs> the second time I've mixed up weird things in my head today. They really remind me of Mojo Jojo. Mojo Jojo. Yes. That'll wrap it up for our third episode on Tyranids. We will be back for a round table and episode 3.5, where we'll talk a little bit about the bioforms that make up the army and how they're used. It'll also give us some fun opportunities to jump into the body horror and Cronenbergian side of all of the monsters that make up the Tyranid bio fleets. Want to get into contact with us about lore, your short stories, or even your spooky stories? Reach us by email at underthehiveofmadness at gmail.com or jimdarkgaming at gmail.com. You can also get a hold of us by joining our Discord community. Not only can you talk to us about lore, hobby, and tactics of Warhammer 40k, but you can get involved on topics spanning things from the Age of Sigmar to the old world of Warhammer, to Epic, to the video games we might be playing at this exact moment. Pretty much Dark Tide, but there's a couple others mixed in. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Not only do we now have an official Instagram for Jim Dark Gaming, but we also have an official Instagram for Under the Hive of Madness podcast. Or find us over at www.underthehiveofmadness.com. Help the podcast grow by liking and reviewing us wherever you get your podcast fix. 
We are at home here on Spotify and Anchor FM, but we're also available through Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, and many, many more. If there's a podcaster that you enjoy and we're not there yet, let us know and I'll be sure to get us registered. You can also find us on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash under the hive of madness. All Patreon members get access to a video podcast with minimal editing so you can see our beautiful faces and hear all of our amazing blunders. There's also a video version component. We bring up a lot of pictures and other things related to what we're talking about. We show off models and color schemes and some of the official art as we're talking. All Patreon levels also get access to our quarterly painting contest. Plus, we have perks at higher levels, and we all suggest that you guys head on over and check that out. Madam Bexy's Flackin' Jack, home to the Tuesday third shift two-credit ice bomb. A shot of super-chilled Devil's Reef Amasek plunged into a fresh red squig. All you need to get those juices flowing. Always remember, tipping isn't just another district lost somewhere in the Amity Hive. They can't stop our signal no matter how deep underground they force us or how large of a shadow they try to cast over our light. We are your light of truthiness in the uncertain, frosty, cold, and long night, 665.66 UHMR Camrat Radio. Reminding all of you Camrats, Hive Mice, and Sump Ghoulies to keep those dials fixed right here. Same ratty frequency for a dose of the same ratty-ass attitude. Remember, Rico, you may kill bugs good, but a forearmed emperor may give you a run for your money. Motherfucker. I really like that one. I realize the like the like double 